everybody. Guess where we are? We're back in that wonderful vehicle known as the Weird, and we're going on a road trip. You keep trying to take me on trips on camels or horses and motorcycles. I, I believe one time you had me on a Zeppelin. I, I feel like I've lost my ability to de- self-determination. Wait a minute. You took us on the Zeppelin. I never took you on a Zeppelin. Oh, you're right. That was me. I take it all back. Sorry. Wasn't it Ghost Blimp? Yes. Because I want to create a superhero called Ghost Blimp. Well, it would be very uh, fitting. I loved Ghost Blimp. It wasn't Ghost Blimp. No, it was just a blimp where everybody disappeared. Yeah, it was like a a ghost ship in the sense that it's a deserted blimp. Blimp. Yeah. I love the pictures of it. Anyway, welcome, everybody. Uh, You are with us again. I'm Riley Stewart. I am Dan Lejoie. And you're listening to The Weird. Mm-hmm. I hope you're as excited as we are to be here. Each week we bring you stories of the strange, the unusual, and the bizarre. Riley, this is your week to share a story. Is this one going to be five hours long? <laughs> no. Good. This one's going to be actually nice and um, compact, like I was in the 80s. Okay. Oh, you have a new drinking glass. Well, I've, I've got two tonight. Dan's double fisting. He's got the Godiva mug, and you've got one of those glasses that are shaped like a beer can. I once dated a woman who was shaped like a beer can. Really? No. I uh, Yeah, I have a Coke uh, going tonight with some water because I'm tired. I did not sleep well last night, and uh, I need the energy boost. Neither did I. I had an actual nightmare. Oh, my God. And I don't often have nightmares. Like, I have weird cryptic dreams. But I don't usually have, like, when I wake up and go, holy fuck. Mm -hmm. And this morning at about 6.30, I woke up and went, holy fuck. What was it about? I don't remember because I don't retain. Mm -hmm. But, man, I was was shook. Yeah, most people don't, right? And if you do, it's because you've, you've woken up in the middle of the sleep cycle. I had a bad dream a couple nights too, but I do remember like parts of it. And it was like my car was stolen from a grocery store parking lot. (laughs) And then I found it and smoke was coming out of the engine. And then people started shooting at my car. Like I was in a chase. Like I think it's because I'd watched Ronin with Robert De Niro. I love that movie. Isn't that a great movie? It is a good movie. Mm -hmm. It's a classic, great action movie. Yeah. It's smart with Jean... um, Renault? Is, is that his name? Renault? Renault, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was in The Professional, that mm-hmm. classic, wonderful movie. Léon le Professionnel, uh, c'est ça. Yes. Well, tonight I'm hoping to fuel further bad dreams because oh. I'm going to take the audience back to another haunted asylum. Oh, is this Trans-Gandalending too? No, Trans-Allegheny. I'm going to a different state altogether. I'm going to Pennsylvania this time. And this particular asylum is known, again, as one of the most haunted spots of that kind in all of North America. Where, where was Trans-Allegheny? West Virginia. Oh, it was West Virginia. Blue Ridge okay. Mountains. And so this West one's in Pennsylvania. Virginia. What? This one's in Pennsylvania. What's it called? It is called, um, well, Penhurst State School and Hospital is what it's known as, but it had an, another name in its original incarnation. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I know that it may be a bit repetitive, but it's been a bit of distance between um, this episode and Trans Allegheny. And I love the idea of insane asylums. Not like. With a hat, with a smile on my face, but with that kind of weird curiosity that sort of fuels this whole podcast. I remember when years ago I watched a horror movie with you that took place in a real uh, asylum. The Rose with Bette Midler. Yes. 
Boy, was that terrifying. Did we really? Yeah, we. it was like... Um, oh, I, I know exactly which one it is, And I remember too. you telling me this is like a really famous asylum that they filmed in. Yeah. It was like really... Oh, I can't... I can't... It, I, I can't remember. It was back in the days when we'd rent things to watch. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Dan, I'm taking you this week, like I said, to the Penhurst State School and Hospital. This particular facility um, was created in 1908, so it was relatively new. A lot of the asylums that we deal with first sort of reared their ugly heads in the 1800s, but this time we're in the 1900s. Yeah. At the time it was open, it was called this title. Oh, my God. Get this. The Eastern Pennsylvania Institution of the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic. Oh. Was that your dog? Yes. Oh, I just love it. Signs of life. Mm-hmm. The act of legislation that established that facility described its purpose as the detention, care, and training of idiotic and feeble-minded persons. So you and I would have been... We would have done well there. That would have been a school for us. Well, I know. We would have probably been, you know, head boy and head boy. (laughs) (laughs) I think tonight's episode, I'm just going to put this in right here, is going to be a little bit of me judging shit. I know the audience will be shocked at that, but this is a really unfortunate story, and there's going to be a lot of meat on these bones dealing with just why this facility was there, and what its purpose was, and how horrible it was, and then we'll get to the spookiness of it, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, so to be sent to Penhurst, all that was required was a court order. And the court order had to be supported by a diagnosis from a doctor certifying that the individual being sent there was actually mentally ill. Very easy to get, apparently. So not a trial. Just no, a just order. a court order. So wow. a lot of people, if they had like children who were difficult, would just go to the doctor, get a certificate, get a court order, and have their poor kid incarcerated. If they could have had just behavioral issues, slight ADHD, whatever, they were sent to Penhurst. I should note that when Penhurst... Oh, your dog is going nuts. Penny I love is it. Penny really enjoying this. I love Penny. Penhurst opened to be a facility exclusively for children. Oh. Right? So tonight we're going to a child's asylum. Oh. Later on, it housed more than just children, but its original purpose was young people. So, you know what's interesting? I watched Free Britney this week. Like Britney Spears? Yeah, the documentary. It's on an HBO documentary that's out. Found out afterwards she's not very impressed with it, even though it's purporting to be supportive of her. And and it is, but it's also exploitive, right? Of course. She just wished everyone left her alone and, and don't mm-hmm. blame her. But I didn't realize this. So she she's lost the ability to govern her own affairs. Still. Still. So her father still controls her accounts. Uh, she doesn't have custody of her children. And um, it's a court order. Like the, the, I, Isn't her family half the problem? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. And and it's just very sad. But part of the spooky thing is is that that can still happen, right? And Oh, absolutely. There are people that claim that um, she's fine, but she's being controlled. There's other people that say that, no, there might actually be something that she needs help with, right? But There's a documentary, I believe, on Netflix. It's either one of the two, because I only have two. So it's, it's either Amazon Prime or Netflix. And it will tell, it's going to tell the story of this new scam that's going where people go and get power of attorney for older people. Yes, I heard about this. It's on Amazon. 
And again, that's another example of people taking advantage and just being gross to people who, you know, aren't necessarily able to completely care for themselves. It makes me so angry, that shit. And they'll just wipe them right out. It's terrifying. And I'm just looking it up because I I believe I have it right here. I care a lot. It's called I care a lot. Well, that's, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be checking that out because it's chilling. Okay, I want to continue on because we could end up with a oh, it's not over? two-hour episode. <laughs> um, at the time in question, the treatment of mental illness was basically complete isolation from the rest of society. When I did the Trans-Allegheny outline, um, it was the same. You just mm. took people who you couldn't deal with and you shut them away from society. Right. In 1913, the Pennsylvania state-operated Commission for the Care of the Feeble-Minded declared, actually declared in 1913, that disabled people were unfit for citizenship and a menace to the peace. Wow. I know. A menace to the peace. A menace to the peace. Penhurst's, in this facility we're talking about, Penhurst's chief physician stated the following, every feeble-minded person is a potential criminal. The general public, although more convinced today than ever before that it is a good thing to segregate the idiot or the distinct imbecile, they have not yet been convinced as to the proper treatment of the defective delinquent, which is the brighter and more dangerous individual. I, I know it's a, there's a, some big words in there, but when you unpack that, it's absolutely chilling mm-hmm. that they're a menace and basically all potential criminals. Society has to be protected. You know, it's funny. I remember talking to a colleague years ago about where we're at with treating mental illness and understanding mental health in general. And he suggested that where we are at now uh, is kind of like where they were in the 1950s with cancer uh, research, right? Like they knew that it was a disease. They kind of understood the basic parameters of it. They were starting to experiment with chemotherapy at that time. And uh, certainly not incredibly effective. What this is like, to me, what you're describing, it's almost like how, you know, in the medieval ages, they they treated your humors, right? Yes. It's like they were just so out of touch with what was actually happening to these people and had so little understanding of uh, how to help Mm -hmm. that, I mean, this is how you ended up with these barbaric uh, institutions. They were, I remember reading this phrase once, they were fumbling in the dark. Yeah, I do believe that for many of them, or some of them, their heart was in the right place. They really did think they were doing good. Mm-hmm. They weren't necessarily evil. No, they were just trying to find a way through it. Mm-hmm. So the children housed at that facility included both physically and mentally disabled persons. And um, we're talking people with speech impediments, individuals with physical or minor psychological abnormalities, also mute deaf and blind children. Upon admission, the patients were classified as either an imbecile or insane. So I guess an imbecile would be a more, you know, person with more cognitive ability and the insane person would be the person that had to be sort of kept really in check. Mm -hmm. Now, many of the patients at Penhurst had no disabilities whatsoever. Anyway, people deemed to be feeble-minded at the facility were routinely sterilized because of course this was the height of the eugenics craze yeah right yeah, that's we tried right. to you know 
purify the race, purify the strain. It also shows you like what happened in Germany didn't happen in a bubble. It was happening all over the Western world, right? The the eugenics movement, the belief in a, a superior race, uh, a need to cleanse the human race and get, you know, the only the strong will survive type mentality. That was happening in the United States to a lesser extent in Canada and and. Even there was pushes for it in, in Great Britain, places like that. It's actually still happening. It's actually still happening. There are places in this world where the birth of people with severe mental disabilities is really, they're trying to eliminate that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, the idea too, that you're with genetic testing now, they can kind of tell you, you know, what your baby's prognosis is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you can abort that fetus. I don't want to get into that talk, but no, uh, I don't want to go there either. That's, but you know, and that's a, and abortions is weighing in on that in any way, but uh, yeah, no, it, there's a slippery slope there for sure. Right. Over time, Pennhurst facility would also be used to detain immigrants, criminals, and orphans. It was basically evolved into a place that they used as a repository for those who were just undesirable. It would be really cool to see uh, a remake of Annie set in this asylum. Did you know I was in Annie in high school? I played Were Daddy. You the dog? Yes, I was Sandy. You no, I knew it. Sandy, oh Sandy, my dog. Isn't there's that no, how that goes? There's no song about Sandy in the show. Um, I was Daddy Warbucks. You were Daddy Warbucks? I was Daddy Warbucks. I got to sing NYC. What is it about you? You're big. You're loud. You're tough. When was this? In high school. Oh, in high school. Because I always looked mature. You were always old looking even then. I was hairy. And so it was great because when I was 14, if I let my facial hair grow, I could get into any concert or porn or anything. Wow. So like Grateful Dead. uh, I wouldn't go see that because they suck, but... uh, Richie Valens. Well, I, I went to see The Exorcist when I was like 15. Really? Just, I just, yeah, I just didn't shave for a couple of days. I'm just that way. I just got hairy early, which was awful because I would be in gym class, right? And we'd be changing. And at where the school I went to, they forced us to shower because I don't know why, but well, you had to. Good for them. And I was the only one with the, the body hair. And so people would stare at me like a Christmas tree. It was awful. I don't want to picture that. And then, uh, and then finally, this guy named Mitch... Uh, the little Jewish kid got his bush. And so the pressure was off me. So the kids had two bushes to stare at in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. Mitch. Jesus. What? I don't, I don't want to picture this anymore. All right, let's get back to the asylum. Well, that's the curse of being a hairy kid. Well, I was hairy, but I don't remember people looking at my bush. Well, if you were 12, yes. I don't even like the fact that you got me to say that. I feel dirty now. I need to go have a shower. Oh, no. Oh, whatever. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay. I'm so off track now. Pennhurst is big. It's about 25 buildings, and it's spread over 1,200 acres. Oh, my God. All the buildings are low. Unlike a lot of asylums that have, like, that one big, formidable building, it's not like that. They're smaller buildings. They're almost all three to five floors. And the exteriors are all red brick. The interiors are basic plaster and concrete. They look a bit European, look a little bit old worldly. You know, they don't look like a, an American building generally looks. Many of those buildings were joined by elevated catwalks. But this is the big thing that all of the buildings were joined by a system of underground tunnels. Why? So you could get around in the winter. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 
Not for nefarious reasons. Not for nefarious reasons, just so you okay. could get from place to place easily. It was made, Penhurst, to be a completely self-contained environment. And it kept these people that were incarcerated there away from the public and relatively forgotten. Mm-hmm. The higher functioning inmates were used to take care of of what was needed to maintain the facility. So yard work, all that kind of stuff, washing dishes, washing linens, that was all done by the people that were there. And these are children again, right? These are children. Doing all this work. That evolved quite quickly into adults and other people. Oh, it did? Okay. It initially had its own railroad access point, so the railroad could actually go right into the facility. Now, as all asylums and at that point in time, and I guess still to this day, it was chronically understaffed. The majority of the patients were unsupervised and they were only cared for at the most minimal level. At its peak, it housed approximately 3,500 patients with a staff of 600 to take care of them. Wow. Yeah, if you do the math, that's not good. In 1924, the name was officially changed to Penhurst State School and Hospital. It operated for 80 years, and over those 80 years, housed more than 10,500 patients. Most were children at the time of admission, and most would never leave the facility. Yeah, so they that's what I was going to ask you. So it's not like they graduated to another adult complex. They just stayed there. So you just said that at its height, there were 3,000 patients there. 3,500. But they only ended up housing 10,000-some overall, which tells you that a lot of those people just stayed for a long time. Absolutely. That's really gross. Some of the jobs that they were assigned were all over the map. They were um, in the records detailed to stuff like shoemaking and butchering. So imagine the inmates are butchering. They're not fit to be part of society, but they can, you know, they can cut up your meat. Would it be their family that would put them in then? Absolutely. Yeah. So they wanted to get rid of them. Yeah. And they didn't believe in rehabilitation back then. They just believed in basically incarceration. Mm-hmm. Now, the patients, of course, were housed in horribly overcrowded dormitories. The conditions were awful. Women were kept in cottages away from the male population, and this was explicitly to prevent pregnancy. People with severe disabilities were kept in these kind of crib-like beds with tall bars on all four sides that were basically cages with an open ceiling. Oh my God. These cases were deemed the hopeless ones and no attempt at any sort of treatment was ever made. So they would just basically come in, be put in that bed, and they would stay there until their death. They'd feed them and bathe them? Yeah. But that's it? That's it. And clean their diaper. It was a horrible place. And the employees, of course, were not all lovely people, and they would often force the inmates to fight and then bet on the outcome. Oh, my God. Yeah, so some of the lower-functioning inmates, they would force them to fight. The patients were also beaten and subjected to the most inhuman treatments imaginable. Now, I have good news. The tide began to turn in the 60s with the civil rights movement because civil rights meant rights for all people. And so people began to worry about all marginalized sectors of society. Right. Advocates for the patients began to materialize. And this is such an important moment. In 1968, a journalist named Bill Baldini, he worked with a local uh, NBC affiliate in Pennsylvania, decided to pursue a story about the atrocities at Penhurst. And it was later aired as a special called Suffer the Little Children. Oh, okay. 
This was a milestone broadcast. This fucking shook the world. I think I remember hearing about this. Our listeners out there, it's also the name of Tears for Fear song. For our uh, listeners out there, Suffer the Little Children is available on YouTube. Okay. So you can watch it. People who saw it were absolutely stunned. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. The outrage in response to it was instantaneous. It's super disturbing to watch, Dan. It's actually fucking heartbreaking. Mm. You'll see like kids just lying in on a concrete floor, banging their head on the floor. You'll see uh, deformed children in those cages. I was talking the bed cages. I was talking about just writhing and rocking from side to side in in incredible pain. Mm. It's one I. I've seen the Geraldo Rivera one where he went to that facility, I think, in New York somewhere. This blows that right out of the water in terms of gut-wrenching awfulness. You know, it's, it's, um, why, why I'm, I'm finding this hard listening to is I've had the great fortune and honor of working with uh, development, a developmentally, I'm getting emotional as I talk about this, developmentally delayed kids in my career. Um, I've taught drama to them. In my first uh, teaching stint, I did music appreciation uh, with with kids that were developmentally delayed. I've done full-scale theatrical productions, and it's always been, I've always gravitated towards those kids. At two of the schools that I've worked at, uh, they have programs for students, you know, with Down syndrome and uh, fetal alcohol syndrome and things like that. And I would spend my lunch hours with them. I love them so much. And it's and I, it's not me feeling sorry for them that would bring me there. It's how much joy they would provide me in a way. It was almost a very selfish thing because they're some of the kindest yeah. folks I've ever worked with and filled with so much love that they have no problem giving uh, out to the world. Hearing that people could be treated like that. I mean, we, we know that. We know that the, that's the case. But just hearing that story, it just makes me so angry and so sad. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes me sad too. If you ever want to watch it, watch it. It's very telling and you'll see why people were basically um, gobsmacked. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it. Completely gobsmacked. In the Baldini Report, you will meet uh, a famous physician known as Dr. Jesse G. Fear. Fear spelled like fear. Um, Perfect name for this asshole. And he employed a practice known as downgrading. And that basically involved him placing patients with behavioral issues in wards that were filled with severely mentally challenged patients. So he believed that these people who acted out, if he placed them with these really, really, Mm -hmm. really challenged people, Mm -hmm. would cause them to become submissive. Just let that sink in. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also admitted, and with a smile on his face, to administering the most painful injections possible as a means of punishing patients. What do you mean? So he would find substances that were not dangerous but hurt like hell and give patients injections of those substances as a punishment. And we're talking kids. Oh my. So just let that sink in. And this person's a doctor. Maybe I'm jumping the gun. Was there any legal action? You're jumping the gun. Put the gun away. Okay. 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 Throughout the 70s, thankfully, attitudes towards the mentally disabled shifted profoundly. And as a result, a number of lawsuits were filed against Penhurst. Mm -hmm. And the most famous and well-documented of these was a case involving a girl named Terry Lee Halderman. 
and she had been admitted to Pennhurst at the age of 12. During her stay at Pennhurst, she had regressed significantly due to neglect and lack of care and attention. She could no longer speak, and she had been injured a staggering 40 times as a result of neglect and abuse. When the case finally made it to court, Judge Raymond Broderick ruled that the forced incarceration of mentally disabled people was unconstitutional, and this was a landmark ruling. And as a result, Penhurst and other facilities like it were closed forever. Oh, and what year was this? This was in the 70s. I don't have a year on that. Okay, I couldn't so 1970s. Find, That's but fine. I can tell you, Penhurst closed its doors in 1987. Oh, so it was allowed to continue. Well, I mean, these lawsuits take time. Right. right? Okay. Yeah. And then I guess, too, perhaps there were people that they were, that they had there that didn't fall under that ruling, maybe? Perhaps. Yeah. But I think yeah. cruelty is cruelty. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So let's get to what we normally deal with here on The Weird. So I don't even have to say it. Penhurst is a paranormal hotspot. The majority of people who visit the facility claim to instantly feel the paranormal weight of the place. What are you doing? I'm just looking at pictures. It's just a bunch of low buildings. Well, I still want to look. It's not like the facilities we normally see. It's not like the Rat House or any of those other places, which are big, formidable. It just is a cluster of small... It, you know what it looks like? It looks like a school. It looks, I went to a private school and that's Actually, what it does look like a private school. It looks like a private school. It's so, so creepy. Throughout the complex, shadowy figures are routinely spotted and strange noises are heard throughout the corridors. There's a lot of cold spots that have been noted by visitors in various locations because there's so many buildings and they all, they're all named. One of the buildings is actually called the Limerick Building, which I love. Hmm. The Limerick Building. There once was a girl from Nantucket. Now, unfortunately, visitors have gone to this, um, to visit Penhurst with dark intentions. So you'll see a lot of the walls are inscribed with occult symbols. And a lot of the uh, paranormal investigators claim that those symbols have actually resulted in an increase in paranormal activity. And perhaps they've even resulted in demonic spirits being attracted to the facility. Ugh. Yeah, people messing with stuff they don't understand. Well, and, and, and why would you do that? Like, this is sacred ground. Oh, you wait. So people who have visited the facility have seen objects moving. Like, all of the normal paranormal manifestation stuff. They've heard the sounds of footsteps. And they've often felt themselves touched by unseen presences. Sometimes gently, sometimes violently. Now, those underground tunnels that I mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. are considered to be one of the most haunted areas at Penhurst. It's rumored that a caretaker who was caring for the facility's upkeep in the late 80s, early 90s, refused to enter the tunnels alone. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, these tunnels are dark. They're tiled. There's no natural light. So just by virtue of that are very unsettling. It's a very unsettling place. Yeah. And these were used to transport patients from one place to another. So, yeah, I'm sure the energy that if there is such a thing as psychic energy, I'm sure the energy, the residual energy there isn't very good. No. Yeah. So the most famous building at the facility is the Mayflower building. It's three stories tall and it has a basement. And what are you looking at? The pictures. It's like a bad marriage. (laughs) Why does it matter what I'm looking at? You don't look, you're not looking at me half the time and I get lonely. You're like, you know, I'm home and I'm doing 
all the housework and you come in after your baseball game with the guys and you want me to have your instant or my instant attention. Oh, poo on you. The most famous building is the Mayflower building. It's three stories tall and it has a basement. The basement was used solely for recreational purposes. The third floor was where the dorms were. That's where people slept. Psychic investigators have claimed to hear a music box playing at that third floor location. More than one have described that experience. There's a room at the end of the hallway on the third floor known as Mary's Room, and it's occupied by the ghost of a young woman with that name. She's harmless, but her spirit does linger there. Now, there are four main entities associated with the Mayflower building. The first is a small boy named Howie, and his favorite toy was a small Fisher-Price airplane. You remember those? I do. Those big, chunky, plastic, fat... And it had like a door that's that came down yeah. and you could put your people inside. Yeah. So there's there's one in that room that someone's left there. And apparently, if you touch it, he will become a little bit agitated and it will move away from you. It's still there? The plane's still there? Well... I'm going to mention this a little bit earlier, but as you can well imagine, every psychic investigative show in the world has gone there and they all go to this room. Yeah. So anyway, a little boy named Howie, he loves his airplane, so don't mess with the airplane. The second entity is known as the Shadow Man, and his primary areas are the bathroom and the common room where the kids were left to sort of play and hang out. And a lot of people have seen him and he's kind of out of the corner of your eye. You kind of glimpse a shadow moving across the wall or around the corner. That's the shadow man. Mm. An investigator claims that the shadow man's name is actually Fisher because that's a name that you will see inscribed on the wall of one of the cells on the third floor. Mm. So he believes that the shadow man is actually this guy named Fisher who died there. Okay. He's, okay. like I said, a fleeting very fleeting presence, just quickly glimpsed as he passes by you. Now, the third ghost in the Mayflower building is a little girl. Not much is known about her other than she's been spotted by witnesses and they've heard her laugh. She's very definitely a little girl. Now, the fourth presence is an angry, vicious, malevolent nurse. And she jabs people with what feels like a hypodermic syringe. Oh, my God. So when she passes by you, you will feel a sudden, sharp stabbing pain in your shoulder. Was there a nurse that died there? I have no idea. Well, I don't mind if she's there. I feel bad for those kids that are stuck there eternally. I know, right? Now, the most famous presence in the Mayflower building is known as the King. He was a maintenance worker at the asylum in the 40s or 50s. The researchers haven't been able to pinpoint when he worked there. So not an inmate? Not an inmate. A lot of paranormal investigators have run across this, uh, this entity... They're terrified of him. He worked in the boiler room, which is down in the basement, down in the depths of the building, and he smoked a cigar. So oftentimes when he appears, you will smell cigar smoke. He was a menacing figure. He was hated by the patients because he abused them. Because he was a maintenance worker, he didn't have time for it. He was just rude and awful to them. Some believe he actually might be one of those demonic presences that I mentioned earlier that have actually come to live at the facility because it's such a hot spot. It actually attracts that sort of energy. He's like a, a cross between Filch and Freddy Krueger. Who's Filch? From Harry Potter. The caretaker was grumpy and angry with, oh, the, with the cat. The kids. Yeah. Oh. Mrs. Norris, I think. He's Filch. He's awful. He is awful. 
And so is Freddy Krueger, I'll have you know. And he's awful in every role he plays. That man always plays that same character. Filch? Yeah, a grumpy, mean old guy. Not Robert England, who plays Freddy Krueger. No, he's a terrible actor. Oh. Have you ever seen him do anything outside of Freddy? I will say this, that Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Dream Warriors, he got robbed when he didn't win the Oscar for Best Actor. I'm speechless. The look of fear on his face when he realized those children had mastered uh, their dreams, and now he had become the prey. Sends shivers down my spine. You know, that's one of those horror movies where the first one was so groundbreaking, and then Mm -hmm. they diluted the franchise by making the worst god-awful sequels ever. Well, they're all like that, right? Like, Friday the 13th was like that, too. Yeah, and they just turned Freddy into just a second-rate comic Mm -hmm. who just, you know, make stupid one-liners, and yeah, it was awful. Like, uh, or, or Kramer versus Kramer, the sequel. You've been Kramed. I've seen Robert Englund do stuff other than Freddy, and he's a terrible actor. Like V? Just terrible. Okay, I'm going to take you now to the Quaker building. Many at the Quaker building have again seen the spirit of another small girl, but this girl has long black hair that obscures her features. Witnesses at that location have also seen a hunched over figure with long deformed spindly limbs that dangle loosely at its sides as if they're broken. The Limerick building that I mentioned earlier, at that particular location, numerous witnesses, including a police officer, have seen a woman walking around in an old-timey nurse's uniform. So not a contemporary, but back in the day when they wore the little hats and things. Yeah. A lot of people have seen that, including a police officer. There's a report um, that was in circulation that two college students visited Penhurst in 2008. And they were apparently never seen again. And they had gone to the facility to video it. Now, the video footage was subsequently found. What? It has a very Blair Witch quality to it. It shows them exploring the site, talking about it, kind of being very jovial about the whole thing. Now, while this is most surely a hoax, everybody believes it's a hoax. It was just done for, you know, publicity and money. Uh It does contain footage of what the site looks like inside now. And it's during the day, which most of the footage isn't. So it's kind of helpful. Um, so so it's not that they actually did go missing because maybe those people that they said they were didn't exist. Exactly. It's a fiction. Yeah. It's a fictionalization. Dan, every goddamn paranormal investigator in the world has gone to Penhurst. If you type in Penhurst investigation on YouTube, there's like 50 of them. Even because I did a search on it. Uh, and uh, but like an image search and so many of them are from buzzfeed unsolved supernatural the world's biggest ghost hunt uh penhurst asylum 360 anyway a bunch of stupid stuff can i ask you a question did any of them experience cold spots <laughs> and they all go in with their infrared and they go in with the, this thing called their ghost box and then they the, you know they're yeah. they're magnetic this and that and it's all that it's all that did you hear that mm-hmm. did you hear the laughter of a girl did you hear this did you mm-hmm. see that did you believe now i don't know if it's true or not but it's just so repetitive and so the same mm-hmm. now i'll tell you a few interesting uh things about the penhurst when i close this off because i'm just about done so penhurst is oftenly colloquially I said it again properly. You did it again. Referred to as the shame of Pennsylvania. 
So it's a, definitely a scar. Oh, the Baldini report in 1968, I cannot stress enough what an impact this had on the public. People were blown away because they just out of sight out of mind right they had no Power idea journalism that these atrocities were going on and as soon as it, the uh, curtain was pulled away people freaked out yeah and and that shows you though how important the news or journalists are right uh, and, and some of it very very much justified uh, on news today but this is an example of an investigative journalist who may have saved thousands of lives absolutely the penhurst story uh, was the inspiration for american horror story asylum oh is that right mm -hmm. do you ever notice we keep stumbling across things that inspired american horror story mm -hmm. it's also the subject of a really famous a and e because we know how classy a and e is it used to be yeah it used to be a special entitled the world's biggest ghost hunt penhurst asylum where they bring all these paranormal investigators together and you can watch it if you want. I watched a bit of it and I'm like, no, nope. this is just not my thing. Now, this is the part that is super controversial. Here we go. Penners was purchased and has now been turned into a Halloween attraction. Oh, oh no. Oh, that's disgusting. I fucking agree. And a lot of people agree. So it's populated by actors and you go in and you're, it's basically a you know a haunted house you walk through and you're terrorized by actors in a space that saw so much atrocity and so much suffering and a lot of people and i'm with them say this place should be treated with respect it is a monument to suffering and a monument to a time when we were really in the darkness about how to deal with mental illness that's like creating some sort of attraction at auschwitz not not the same thing, but it's a place of mass suffering. People who were defenseless were taken advantage of, treated brutally, and murdered. I would not go. I think it's in poor taste. There is a movement afoot to have Penhurst made into a... Um, a memorial? Yeah, thank you. I, I was searching my vocabulary in panic mode. A memorial, a, a monument to what had happened. Yeah, and so, that I would go to, to pay my respects. And, 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 and visit the grounds and see what it was like, but with a, with a in a respectful frame of mind, not a like, ooh, we're going to get scared frame of mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's gross. I don't believe that uh, that's the way you should treat something like that. When I went to Kilmainham Jail, which is the big uh, prison complex in Dublin, where uh, the organizers of the Easter Rebellion were killed. It's hundreds of years old. But even going to the Ottawa jail here and visiting there, th these are places where real people suffered. Even if they were bad or did bad things, it's still sacred in a, in a, in a way, not something that should be enjoyed. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know I want to go to Auschwitz, right? But the reason that I want to... Yeah, you mentioned that. The reason I want to go is I believe I owe it to the world i owe it to myself i owe it mm -hmm. like you know what i mean i think it's important that i see it and it's mm -hmm. not for any kind of sick reason i don't care about seeing the ovens i don't care about that i just want to go there it's very hard for me to articulate why but i think it's important that i do that i get it no it's a spiritual thing it's a, a way of honoring those that died there i think right for many it's a it's a pilgrimage yeah okay good way of putting it thank you you actually made it make more sense to me now. So Dan, that's what I got for you, Penhurst. Um, uh, I guess the um, footnote here is that it is a place that was basically populated by children. That's what its purpose was. And for that reason, the spirits are so very innocent and really were kept in the worst possible 
circumstances, and they believe that a lot of these very innocent spirits are still there to this day, wandering around aimlessly, not knowing where they fit in. And it makes sense that the spirits that terrify are the ones that worked there, not the children themselves. Very good. I didn't even think of that. You're brilliant. You know, I was a good boy with this episode. You know, we didn't get up to hijinks. No, but I didn't. I wasn't going to. This this made me sad and angry at points. So yeah, it it does. But yeah. I thought it was worth telling. It's a different kind of asylum than the uh, Trans Allegheny one. And uh, I, when I came across it, I wanted to tell the story. It's so important, though. Again, and I'll say it one more time: that 1968 "Suffer the Little Children" broadcast was groundbreaking. It was one of those famous moments in journalism, like, you know, the famous footage of the Hindenburg going down or Nixon saying, you know, I'm not a crook. It's one of those famous moments in journalism that were so very important and actually had the uh, ultimate, the ultimate outcome of it was it turned the tide. No, it, I'll have to watch that for sure. Yeah, watch it. And it's got a kind of cool 70s vibe to it. So it's kind of got that nice, you know, like Black Klansman feel to it liked that movie. I, I loved it I too. I loved that movie. But I love that kind of, that era. But not the content of the special, obviously, because it's awful. Speaking of, of TV, I got a shout out to a great show right now on HBO Max called um, Mayor of Easttown. Oh, yeah. Kate Winslet is just such a remarkable talent. I didn't know she was in it. Yeah, she is. It's a really great show. And uh, okay. that guy... Um, who played the old man in that last Alien franchise, Guy Pierce? He's not an old man. He played an old man in that Alien movie. Yeah, don't you remember? In the, the last iteration of Alien, he played the guy who was in charge of the business that had funded the expedition to that planet. Right, right, right. Yeah. And he wore the worst old guy makeup I've ever seen. But anyway, Guy Pierce is in it with Kate Winslet, and he is also great. He looks much better now that he's put on a little weight. He's aging well. He's one of those actors that looks better, older. I think he's one of the most underrated actors out there. Oh, he totally is. Totally He's is. so good. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Memento, it was the first big movie I remember with him in it. Yes, I remember that. That was a groundbreaking. That was a huge a, a, a movie because it was it was it had that sixth sense kind of feel to it. It was like Ooh. yeah, well, it's told backwards, yeah. right? So you're seeing and and you don't really realize it was very good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Dan, that's all I have to offer you this week. Is it enough? Oh, that's plenty. You know, I think that uh, it was good that you brought something like this to uh, our listeners. It's a bit different, right? Sometimes we do silly or more mystery-based, yeah, sensational. sensational. Yeah. But this is good. I like this stuff too. And I think it's good for people to know these stories. You know, we have to know our past to not repeat the mistakes yeah. of, you know. And if anybody out there is affiliated with the Halloween thing, stop it. Just stop it right now, okay? You have some respect. And I've heard that the guy who owns it um, said, well, I'm going to open a museum. You know, I'm going to do a museum to the to the that will show you what the but then no, you just should not have a Halloween haunted house there. You shouldn't be hiring actors. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. do it. Stop right now. Okay, so is there any um, administrative business? Yes. Look, it is tax season right now, <laughs> and we are struggling with our ledgers. Riley, I realized who is responsible for them was actually holding the ledger upside down and so our numbers are a muck if you have nothing better to do and can fly uh, to ottawa canada 
We need you to take care of our books. Okay, that's it for the administrative stuff. I love that you claim we have ledgers. All I can think of is a Christmas carol. Yeah. Me perched yeah. up on a wooden stool with these little gl- glasses yeah. writing in a ledger. <laughs> yeah. Please, Mr. Lajoie, can I turn up the space heater? <laughs> no. It uses up electricity. Get back to your corner, Riley. But, sir, but, sir, it's Christmas Eve. I want to be with me family. Tiny Tim has another... Pox. <laughs> that, that just went nowhere. Tiny Tim had a pox. Well, we could have gone somewhere, but it would have gone dark again, and I don't want to end in a dark way. So let me end it with what? You're supposed to be the motherfucking king of improv, and you just left me hanging. You left me hanging. My my moniker is old man improv, not the king of improv. Well, you, you just left me hanging there. I, I gave you a line, and you didn't respond. Uh, so I'm going to go to your house, and we're going to play this game called Catch the Ball, and that will help you learn the basics of improv. Yeah, but the best way for catch the ball to end is for the ball to just eventually drop. Mm -hmm. I found it. That was the ending of the scene. Okay. And we let it happen. And scene. There we go. All right. We love you, listeners. Uh, We love that you visit us here at The Weird. We love bringing you these stories. And all we ask in return is very little. What do we ask, Dan? Folks, if you you like what you're hearing, then please share the word of The Weird with uh, your friends and family, your coworkers. Uh, perhaps call a stranger on the phone, just dial random numbers and see who picks up and say, or just scream, actually, weird, into the phone and then hang up and then hope that they can't trace your number because then you might get a call from the police. If you do, let us know so we can cover the story in a future episode. Join us again next week. Dan has uh, uh, some big episodes coming up, so um, it's very exciting. I'm not going to give it away, but I know what they are, and they're really good. Another top 10 mystery coming your way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Can you feel the excitement? I sound like a car ad. Yeah, you do. Gotta hate car ads. Okay, thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. Bye. Good night, everyone. Who the best? Who the best?